Good evening. How are we doing tonight? Good? All right. Um, we've got three minds left in from November to a couple weeks in December. And so we'll meet tonight, we'll meet next week, and then the following week, we'll take a couple weeks off. And prayerfully, by January, we will be in James chapter 3. Um, that's my goal. And so I figure it's taken us this long to get there. Um, with that said, I want to back up a little bit, though, because we left a couple of weeks ago on this point of, God, how do I, how do I demonstrate my faith in a way that is going to be not only a blessing to me, but how do I demonstrate my faith in a way that's going to be a blessing to others? And so we looked at James chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you wanna, we're going to focus on chapter 2 tonight and hopefully bleed into chapter 3 just a little bit. And we left with this idea that, God, if, if, if someone comes into our midst that I'm not comfortable with, that, that doesn't really work for me, be it uh, age or race or intellect or finances, um, God, how, how should I feel about that? Because, because my natural reaction is to, move, is to, is to, is to repel, right? My natural reaction is to find people of like-minded, and then you fill in the blank. And we've seen that throughout history. Um, our culture is, is really, in our nation, we move towards that. Um, I've heard our nation described as, as not really a melting pot, but more of a salad bowl. And so we're not, we're not, everyone's not coming together and we just kind of mix it all up and we all become the same thing, but rather we find our little groups, our pockets, and we're all living in the same, the same, the same vicinity, but you can't separate me from what I like. And so, and, and, and guys, the, the tragedy of that is that that, that thought has, has, as pervasive as it is, bled into the church. It's bled into the local church. And so, and so we're, the, even the local church recognizes, boy, it'd be a whole lot easier if we, can just, if we can just get this group of people and let them congregate together. And I think what started out with good intention, which was, hey... If, if, you know, if, if you're a single mom, really no one can relate to you but other single moms. And, and so we need to surround you with other single moms. If you're, if you're a divorced uh, person, you know, the best people to relate to you are divorced people. If, if you're uh, a high school student, the best people to relate to you are, are high school students. And so I think with good intention, what has happened, though, is we found even in the local church, we've created more of a salad bowl mentality, which is you go do your thing here, and you go do your thing here, and you go do your thing here. And we'll all meet up at the parking lot after the service. And while, guys, this is not a, a um, you know, a symposium on uh, the local church, um, James brings it to our attention, whether that's your program or not. Uh, because the other side of that is we all just meet together, and we know that's got problems as well. Whatever your situation may be in terms of church growth and church programs, James comes to you and me and says, if someone walks through these doors that isn't your cup of tea, you not only have, uh, you not only have an obligation, but you have a duty to respond to that person in only one way, and that is with open arms. And we struggle with that. Uh, we, we don't like to admit it, but we do. We talk about sin issues and we talk about areas of our lives that, that sometimes get more play than others when, when uh, pastors come up and they preach and they speak on what we would deem as more of the, 
the glamour sins, maybe the sexy sins in our society, pornography or adultery or massive debt, uh, maybe rage and, and, you know, those kind of get the attention. But James comes to you and to me tonight and he says, here's one that's just as damning. And that is this issue of favoritism. Who, who, who do I gravitate towards? And there's nothing wrong with being around people that are like me as long as I keep the door wide open for anyone that wants to come hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So we left last week and we thought, uh, I thought, well, how about I just demonstrate that by showing you this video. And so I talked about the video. Um, I'm going to show it to you tonight. And so um, rather than, yeah, rather than me uh, explain it again, um, take a look at, this is again called Under the Overpass. And just to set it up, it's two college students that went out for six months um, during, uh, they, they go to a fairly wealthy college over in SoCal and they went out for six months and decided they would live on the streets. And uh, the best of my knowledge is that they were dropped off basically on a street corner with the clothes on their back and maybe a couple bucks in their pocket and a couple guitars. And the rules were they had to go to six different cities on the West Coast, Phoenix being one of them, and they couldn't work. They had to just, they had to live off of whatever God through others would provide for them. So take a look. Uh, This is called Under the Overpass. I wonder... uh, as I've seen that several times, I wonder if in God's um, wisdom and yet sometimes his humor, I, I wonder if Jesus ever would decide while he's in heaven, you know what, I'm going to go down and be a homeless person. Just just for kicks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit outside of a church, I'm going to sit on the streets, and I just, I want to see who's going to come up and and, and I just... I guess it pains me a little bit to think that I would have a conversation one day with Jesus after all is said and done and he were to say something like that that person that you saw that you purposefully went around that that was me um, I just I wanted to I purposefully placed myself there Greg just to see what you would do I hope, I hope he's got more to say than that because it would be a quiet conversation after that. I don't know, I don't know what I would say. James says, um, starting in, in verse 2, if a man comes into your assembly with gold rings, fine uh, dressed in fine clothes, also comes a man in poor and dirty clothes. You pay special attention to the one who's wearing fine clothes. You say, sit in a good place. You say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down on my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? And you've become judges with evil motives. Listen, my brother, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith, to be heirs of the kingdom with which he promised those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. Let's stop right there for a moment. What keeps us from doing this? What what keeps us from reaching out to those who we're not really comfortable with? In this context, it's it's a socioeconomic issue. But again, we can broaden that to just about any context. But if we keep it in this context, what what keeps us? 
from hearing things like this, from reading the word of God and just basically putting our stuff down and just going. What keeps us from doing that? Yeah, I'll I'll entertain any. I've got a couple thoughts myself, but yeah, what, what, what do you think? What keeps us from doing that? Just raise your hand. Sometimes it's a scam. And you know what the truth is about that? What? It is a scam sometimes. But what's the problem with that mentality? Maybe it's not. And that's the risk we take. I, I heard of a couple guys, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, a couple guys that were on Staten Island Ferry as people would go to work each day and they shine shoes each day just for whatever they could take. They did it for six months out of the year. Do you know where they spent the other six months? In Hawaii. Because they would, they would, they would live, so to speak, as poor people and then they'd live in the lap of luxury. Um, so yeah, that, I think that can prevent us from... From real, you know, we, we stop right before we're about to reach out and we start speculating and wondering who are you and what, you know, what is your deal? What, well, I think we asked this question, right? What got you here? Because if we, if we level the playing field, almost for all of us, we all say the same thing, which is, well, well, I had to work hard. I, I had to pay my dues. Um, I have, I got to pay taxes. I got to pay a mortgage. I got to pay bills. And I got to stay up late and I got to go to work when I don't want to. So what got you here? And I think that if we were being honest with ourselves, sometimes it does stop us. And sometimes we mentally say to ourselves, um, yeah, I don't know, maybe I should. But you know what? They're probably on drugs. And then we just, and then we just keep going. One here and one here. Um, our Bible group goes once a month to, to feed the homeless in a park. Yeah. And... Uh, one thing that when I'm sitting there, I, I get real scared inside. I'm always afraid like one is going to knife us, but we sure. do it anyway. And the other thing is the smell. Oh, my. It's gagging. It's, but it's, we do it anyway, but it's gagging. Pungent. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Uh, it said fear. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a different different smell than we're used to. Yeah. What have you been? Have, can anyone relate to that? The fear thing? Right. I mean, let's just be honest. Um. Fear is, is uh, we're, Lynn's talking about this, I don't know where the hammer went, but you know, we've been talking about this for the past four weeks about fear. That's what keeps us from living fully for Jesus, from becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus is fear. And we've heard that over and over and over again this past month. Sunday night, um, I, at midnight, Sunday night, I have a two-story and uh, all, my three kids are in bed. They're upstairs. I'm upstairs. And I just hear something downstairs. And, I, and so I listen a little closer. My television is, is blaring downstairs. And, and so I get, you know, I kind of get up. You know, you get that feeling now. The heartbeat starts racing. And so I, right next to I got this little thing right next to my bed. So I, you know, and it's got, I got this knife like this big next to my bed. What am I going to do with that, Mike, right? I mean, I got this knife this big, so I grab it and my phone in case I have to call 911. And so I go to my kids' rooms and I check on all three of my kids, make sure they're not up late watching TV or whatever. Dad of the year, you know, I don't even know where my kids are. And so they're, they're sleeping. So the TV's on downstairs. All of us are upstairs. And now the, you know, I'm just. And so it takes me five minutes to go down like 15 stairs. 
because all the while I'm thinking, so, I'm going to have an altercation here. Maybe some of you have had those altercations, so I'm not making light of this, but, uh, you know, it's just this scary thing. And I finally got to the TV, turned it off, but I couldn't figure out how it got on. And I'm about to go back up my stairs, and right next to my entryway, I have a closet with um, coat, coat closet, and it's slightly ajar. Oh, my gosh. And I'm not kidding you guys when I say literally for 10 minutes, I was this far from the door, and I stared at it with a knife and my phone. And for 10 minutes, I thought, this could be the last night of my life. Now, again, reality set in, and I thought, who, who, why would you want to, you know, I'm not, why would you want to kill me? Like, why would a guy come into my house and hide in my closet, turn the TV on, you know? It, it turned out to be one of my kids had taped the show, and it, the show ended at midnight, whatever, and then it just reverted back to the regular television, and so the TV came on. There was 20 minutes of my life well spent. <laughs> but, but it was, I was scared. And, and sometimes I think that's the, I honestly, you know, it's the fear of the unknown. We, we just, we, we, we're, we're honestly scared. Yeah. So um, it's more along the lines of unpreparedness. So oftentimes we're in our own world, we're going along, and then we come across this, unexpected, um, you know, person, homeless person. Sure. And we're unprepared to how to react, how to give. And so we fall back on our instincts, which is often driven by fear. And so there's been a number of people who've done a number of things. And if you're prepared to help in, an, in, in either a monetary or a non-monetary way, way, if you kind of think through or plan out, if I run into someone, yeah. when I run into someone, I can hand a McDonald's gift card. Absolutely. I can hand yep. peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I can, I've got contact information yeah. for homeless shelters, something along those lines. It empowers you or emboldens you to overcome your instincts, which are fear-driven, and be prepared to make a, a, an impact even if it's small. Yep. That, that's a great comment. And, and can I add to this? It, I would even say that you're even almost now looking for opportunities, right? Because you're prepared. You, you, I mean, how many of us have said, you know, uh, you know, you got this guy in the, the sign on the street, you know, and you think to yourself, I'm not going to give him money because I don't know what they're going to do with it. But, you know, I'll, uh, you know, we'll do the food thing. I'll buy him a meal. But you never do. I'll give him McDonald's coupons. You never have them. And so you drive away and what's our, what's our thought next time? And so it's a, that's a, it's a wonderful comment because when I've done that, I've actually, it really does put me in the driver's seat to say, well, when can I give this stuff out? But it takes a little forethought. Absolutely. Uh, one more and then, and, then, and then we'll get going. Yeah. There's, there's also the concept of there but for the grace of God go I. It's really scary to come face to face with homeless or those without. Because if you can see yourself in that position. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like you say, oh, I surely should lend a hand or do yeah. whatever. But that's not what happens. You beat feet. Yeah, and, and so all of that, and I'll add one more, um, is, uh, is, I don't know how to phrase it really, but, but it's almost ignorance slash naivety. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the first time you try something and going into it, the fear of the unknown, you don't know what it is, so you try it, you know, and then before you know it, four or five, six, seven times later, now you're comfortable with it. And sometimes I think when we don't reach out to those that we're not like, 
We keep justifying it away until we actually do it. And I know several of you here are doing it. And you would testify as would I. There's no, there's no cure. There's no, there's, I, we can't stand up here and just have this dialogue. We just got to go do it. And then we can have a conversation of, yeah, I went and did it. And now let me tell you what it's all about. Um, so with that said, um, I was thinking, well, if someone were to tell me, Greg, you got to go, go out and, and, you know, because if someone comes through those doors that I'm not familiar with in terms of, let's say, socioeconomic status, my natural reaction is, I don't, this is foreign. But if I'm out there actually doing it on a regular basis, semi-regular basis, then when that person comes through the doors, guess what? I'm the, I'm the one going up to them. Why? Because it's not as foreign. And, and, and we have talking points and we have familiar uh, things to discuss because I've, because I've associated and, and I've gotten around it and, and I've engaged in it. And again, let's take it out of poverty. Take it into, I'm not comfortable with, and by the way, two weeks ago I said this, and so let me clarify, I used as an example, I don't like old people. But I was saying that, to clarify, I was saying that as that, that's what some people say, not me. Not me. I love the elderly. So I want to I make that clear. Uh, guys, I really do. I, I, am, uh, I am obviously getting a little older, and I, I am becoming more and more of a fan of just sitting and talking and, and learning and, um, and dialoguing. I think Midwesterns, you call it visiting. Um, just sit and visit. And uh, that's becoming more and more, uh, not, not entirely pleasurable, but more and more pleasurable. Um, so, so, so I, you know, I don't like the elderly. And then all of a sudden you start to spend time at a nursing home or you spend time with uh, some relatives that are a little older than you and you realize, boy, there's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of experience. There's a lot of stories. And before you know it, you start to gravitate more and more towards that and you think, boy, I could, I could not only learn a lot, but I'm starting to like this. Then all of a sudden at your, at your small group or at your small church or right through these doors, in walks someone that's a little older than you. What's your mentality? I can go up and talk with them now. Because, because I'm out there doing it. I'm out there engaging. I'm not showing favoritism. So anyway, so, so I was thinking about that. And I thought, well, how, how do we, you know, if, if, if I don't know, if someone were to say, Greg, just go out and do it. I would honestly say, I don't know where to start. Other, outside of just driving around looking for people that aren't like me, I don't know where to start. And guys, this is the beauty, honestly. This is, this is the beauty of the local church. This is why I tell my students all the time, you've got to get involved with a local church because you, it's too big for you. These assignments that God gives us, they're too big for any one person. So thank God he has provided with us a body of believers where someone in this body here said at some point in the past, why don't we do this? How about once a month we get everyone together, we contact, we'll do the groundwork, we'll do the legwork and contact a bunch of organizations We'll set it all up so that if our people can just come, just to, just, just to get over this fear and ignorance and, and, and want to serve, we'll send them out. And guys, you attend, you and I attend a church that, that has done that. Uh, so, what I, so I wanted to bring up Jody Peterson. Jody um, is, is one of the leaders of Second Saturday. Um, how many are familiar with Second Saturday? Okay, a good number of you. Second Saturday is, would you welcome Jody? Come on, have a seat. Let's chat. 
Let's visit. Um, Jody, give us a little bit, for those of us that may be familiar or may not be familiar, what, what is the, what's the objective of Second Saturday? So the purpose behind Second Saturday is just for us to be the church and to go out and serve um, people in our community, just to be the hands and feet. And we just hope that by our serving that we may get the opportunity to share Christ's love, may that be in words or whether that's just in action. So the next one would be, somebody do the math, December, December 8th, okay? I show up on December 8th. I've never been to a second Saturday. Um, just real, real practical. Where, where do I go? What, what, what happens here on campus? We meet um, in the student center, which is the building for the south on campus, at 8 o'clock in the morning. So every second Saturday of every month, we'll be there at 8. When you walk in the doors, uh, people are just hanging out in the student center. Then you'll, we'll do a couple songs, and then there's ten, usually around 10 different projects, and those project leaders will come up and share a little bit about their project. Some of those projects include going to Sunshine Acres, which is a, a, a children's home, and they'll share what the project is for that week. Sometimes it's digging a trench. I've gone and we've organized their food pantry, so the projects vary, are different depending on the weekend. Uh, there's a group that goes to Watkins um, Homeless Shelter in Phoenix. It's a women's shelter for um, single moms and their kids. So they've served pancake breakfasts there in the past. We've also partnered with Chandler Care, which is an assisted living center. And that's um, available for children and for all ages. And they just go and play bingo with the residents there. So there's a wide variety. Sometimes it's um, helping different members of our own church body. Maybe it's moving doing yard work. So they'll just kind of give you all the options and who would be able to do it if children are welcome at that project or if it needs to be adults, um, whether you need closed-toed shoes or you can wear whatever you want. And if I have, you know, I walk in and say I've got a particular skill set or there really is, I really would like to get to know younger kids or, um, or you know, a different um, ethnicity or a different age group or you, you can actually... I can see that on the board, or I can make requests, or I can let you guys know, hey, I, I am a carpenter, I'm a plumber, do you need my help? Absolutely, and I know another one that we've done is from Gangs to Jobs, and they have a variety. They have a lot of different skills that are needed, like they needed someone who had a track to come in and level out things. So as, as we know skills that are you have or needs that you have, we'd love to incorporate those into Second Saturday. It really will become what we make it. However many people are able to show up and serve, that's the amount of lives that we're able to impact. And I think oftentimes, not only do we impact the people we're serving, but the people we get to serve with. The relationships you build while serving alongside of someone at Cornerstone is just, those are the relationships that tend to last a lifetime. Let's say, Jody, that I show up and, and again, fear, ignorance, uh, fear of the unknown, those are things that are kind of driving me. I show up, but I'm... I'm I'm committed to at least showing up. You're not going to say, okay, here's your assignment, Greg, and, I, and that's it. I go by myself, and good luck, Godspeed. Here's a knife, right? You're not, you're not saying any of that stuff, right? Is, no. Okay. So what will do, after they kind of go through the 10-plus diff- 10 projects, they'll get into groups and say, okay, if you're interested in this project, meet me on the patio. You'll carpool to that location and then all the projects wrap up about noon. And while you're, even that car ride to whatever the project is, is a great time. There's a, a project leader who's 
um, gone and done that before who you can ask questions. Okay, give me the information I need to know to be able to do this well. Do I have to be a member of Cornerstone? Absolutely not. We actually have schools that contact us and say, can we send our Spanish class to come serve, but they need to use their Spanish, so we've done that in the past. Um, is there, what, what if I had a organization that I was familiar with, um, could, I, could I send you guys an email, could I give you guys a call and say, this group needs some help, this organization needs some help, would you guys consider that? Absolutely. We love recommendations, and just like... It's as big as we make it. So the more people that can get involved and are looking for that opportunity to serve, um, to be project leaders, the opportunities are numerous. How many, how many people do usually show up on a second Saturday? I would say there's probably, bet- probably 80 to 100 people. Wow. Every second, Every second Saturday. And then you were mentioning as well before we were talking earlier that even a men's group or so has decided every, every Saturday. Yes, and they meet, um, Carrie does that one, they meet in the cafe here, I believe that's Saturday at 8 a.m., and they just have just a variety of projects that they know are needs of the people in the community, and he's chosen to serve our community in that way. We don't need to let you know we're coming, we just show up. Just show up, and I would recommend wearing closed-toed shoes and maybe bring a pair of work gloves if you're interested in the work projects. Otherwise, if you come up wearing normal clothes like what I'm wearing today, you could go and play bingo with residents. So there's opportunities for wherever you're at. Sounds like a plan. Jody, thank you so much. Can you give Jody a hand, please? Thank you, Jody. And guys, as, as Jody's mentioning that, I'm thinking this. As, you know, I'm trying to, isn't it amazing when God, uh, here we are, we're talking about serving his stuff right in the, the throes of Thanksgiving. Um, Lynn gets up, you know, he's, he's talking about 2013, what's the potential of this church. And this church is obviously one of the, uh, Mark's, one of the, the DNA of this church is, is outreach, is, is, is evangelism. Well, can you think of a better way to say to your neighbor, a better in to say to your neighbor, hey, come with me Saturday morning, we're going to go serve some food. Hey, you want to, would you come, we're gonna, I got to go, we got to go mow a lawn or paint a house or go play bingo with some, would, can you come with me? I mean, they're, they're going to, this, 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 possibly a non-believer is going to walk beside you, alongside of you and serve with you and get their feet wet in what we should be doing all along. How easy would it be just to say to that neighbor, um, and then they get to come on the campus they get to see what, what church is all about. Hey, come back tomorrow, the second Sunday. And, and would you come back? With, I mean, it, it's right there. It's right. It, it, the Cornerstone has set the table for us. And again, guys, um, so, so, so what motivates me for doing this? I think, I think two, a couple things here. I think what needs to motivate me are two things. One is, is love. I think love has to motivate me, but the second thing is, um, for lack of a better term, um, uh, judgment, future judgment. And, and I'll show you this. I'm not making this up or just thinking off the top of my head. Let me, let me bring you to a couple of passages that might support this. Turn to Romans 13. Uh, let's go to Romans 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans 13. Um, what should motivate me to get out there and not play favorites? 
maybe Romans 13. Look at, look, start in verse 8. Paul says in verse 8 of Romans 13, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. In other words, owe that to each other. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Why, why should I go out and do this? Um, back over, if, if you go, well, we'll stay there for a second. Why should I do this? Because, because James says... Um, because you need to be judged or you need to hold the standard of the royal law. Well, what is the royal law? Jesus has asked that question in Matthew, and Jesus says, well, the greatest law, the royal law, is what? Is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? You're my neighbor. So what needs to be my motivation for going out and doing these things, not playing favorites, serving others? It's love. And as we mentioned two weeks ago, what does that mean to love my neighbor as myself? It simply means this. The the amount of time I spend on myself, spend on my neighbor. The, 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 The lines on Black Friday are indicative of we are still, um, we're still okay as a nation financially. Meaning we're still in debt. Uh, you, what, if you went to Kohl's, what was hour in line at least? We're okay. So if you're going to spend an hour to get 50 bucks off a pair of pants. Love your neighbor as yourself means spend an hour talking to your neighbor, serving your neighbor, going out and serving the homeless, going out to Second Saturday. Loving someone as I love myself means spend as much time on others as I do on myself. That doesn't mean don't spend time on yourself. Just make it equitable. Make it, make it the same. And, and we're obviously, that, that's a stretch for a lot of us, for me. You don't know how busy I am. That's what we say to ourselves. That's, what, that's how we justify serving others away. You don't know how busy I am. I just, again, I have to bring us back to the conversation that you and I are going to have one day. Guys, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.10, Romans 14.10, 1 Corinthians 3, all shout to us the very same thing. There will come a day for you and for me to sit down with Jesus Christ and have a conversation. And the conversation is going to revolve around not your salvation because that's been done and paid for. It's going to revolve around the day after you got saved to the day God called you home. Sanctification, the works, what did you do? And Christ wants to have that conversation with you. In fact, you're going to have it. So why not have a conversation that goes along the lines of, can I just show you all the things that you did for the glory of God? Boom, 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 boom. And then you did, and then you went, and then you gave, and get out of here. Go enjoy heaven. Next. And so I gave you 45 years as a believer. I gave you 15 years. I gave you 65 years. 
And then the conversation gets pretty quiet. Um, we're motivated by love. Now look at the contrast here. Go to 1 John real quick. 1 John chapter 3. Back of your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, uh, look at verse 17. Well, start in 16. 1 John chapter 3, starting in 16. John says, we know love by this, that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now watch 17, he says, but whoever has the world's goods, and behold, his brother is in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in that person? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So the first motivation is love, but that is intimately connected with the second motivation, which I think is judgment. Go back to James then. James chapter 2. I'm motivated by love. God, I want to go out there because you've loved me. I want to love others. I want to go serve others. I, want, I, don't, I don't want to play favorites. I want to stand up when Pastor Lynn says, turn around and greet those, or, or Brian says, turn around and greet those. I want to, whomever is behind me, around me, I want to open with open arms. I don't want to look them up and down. I don't want to judge them for what they look like or what they smell like or what they talk like. I want to love them with open arms because I'm motivated by that. In fact, God, if I'm not motivated by that, I have to question, where's the love that you have inside of me? Where is it gone? Does it even abide in me? Is what John is saying. Here's the second thing I think we need to be motivated by. James chapter 2, let's pick it up in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now if you don't commit adultery but commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, so two things I'm, I'm motivated by love but guys I, I think it's a fair i think i think we're it's a fair thing to say i'm also motivated by what's going to happen in the future this conversation theologically we call it the bema seat judgment it is reserved for believers where it's not our salvation that's being judged but rather what happens afterwards it's a conversation that's going to take place Romans 14, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, both say the same thing. And that is you will be judged on not your word or your tongue per se, but your deeds, be they good or bad. This notion that, you know, I just live life and then when I die, whatever happened to me here on earth gets washed away. No one remembers it. I don't remember it. Jesus doesn't remember it. God doesn't remember it. And then I just enter into heaven. Jackknife into some clouds and I'm good. And then I read passages like 2 Corinthians 5.10, like Romans 14.10, like 1 Corinthians 3. And it says, now wait a minute here. Actually, your life does matter. Your deeds are accounted for. 
Now, here's what's interesting about verse 12. What's the judgment going to look like? What am I going to be judged on? Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by what? What am I judged by? The law. But what law? The law of? The law of freedom. The law of liberty. Okay? Go back up then to verse 8. What is the law of freedom? What is the law of liberty? Verse 8, if however you are fulfilling the royal law, the, the law of freedom, some of your versions may say, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. In other words, I speculate, but let me just throw this out. What if, what if the, the entire time of your judgment with Jesus after you and I die, what if the entire time the conversation went something like this? Here is the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment, Greg. You shall love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Let's talk about that. How did you do? Well, I, you know, I... Okay, and here's the second one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How did you do? What if that were the only things that I was being judged on? Now, I don't know if those are the only things I'm being judged on, but I do know this. I am being judged on those things. So whatever else I'm being judged on, I know I'm being judged on those things. Scripture is very clear, guys, time and time again. Love your neighbor as you would yourself. If you're going to err in this life, err on the side of loving your neighbor better than yourself. I don't think you're going to have a conversation with Jesus when all is said and done and Jesus says, you, you loved your neighbor too much. You, you love them more than yourself. That, uh, that's not what I said. I said just as yourself. You went way over. Right? I don't think that's going to happen. And then he wraps up in 13 and says, For the judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, the question then is this. It seems like James is saying, I need to show what? Show mercy. What is mercy? Just layman's definition, what's mercy? Compassion. I don't want to boil the Christian life down to this, but boy, I'm getting real close in my own life. Let's just strip away all of the do's and don'ts and, you know, the, you know, and let's just say this. The Christian life is about compassion toward others. What if? What if the Christian life was about loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, coming here on Sundays and, and whenever and worshiping Tuesdays, worshiping? Okay, so I got, I'm, I'm covering that area of my life. Lynn has talked ad nauseum about the discipleship plans for 2013. Get involved with one, right? So we got that covered. What, what, what if the rest of it was simply this? For next year, my goal is to show compassion to others. Jesus, I want, I want 2013 to be known in my life for that. And however you want to do that, with whatever group you want to do with that with, with whatever family member that that needs to happen with, 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 in whatever circumstances, I want to plaster that all over my life 
that for one year, I want to be known for not too much more than they, that person had compassion for other people. But how do you know that? Boom, 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 boom. I think if you do that, guys, I'm, I, think you're, I think you're right on, according to James 2.13. So the question, I think, as we close tonight is why? Why should, I, why, should I, why should I give it? Why should I give mercy? Why should I give people compassion? Because it's hard. You know when compassion's hard? It's hard when it's not coming back. And the amazing thing about these passages, and, and most of the time in Scripture, let's just be honest, most of the time, we, the, the amazing thing is, is it's not reciprocal. Jesus says, just go and do it. James says, go and do it. And if you get some back, great. But if you don't, you, you still do it. So why should I? What, what, if, if, I, if, I, if I made that my goal in 2013 to be a man or woman of compassion, what, why? Because one of the reasons is because there was a day in time, guys, when you needed it and you got it. Yeah, um, let me just, for the sake of um, turning your Bibles to Ephesians 2 real quick, please. Ephesians 2, look at verse 1. I'll just, I'll read out of the, uh, the New, Living St- New Living Translation. Your version would say something similar. Uh, Once you were dead, Ephesians 2 starting in 1, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our own sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy and compassion, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us has shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ. Why should, I, why should I show compassion to the people that really don't, I don't feel comfortable around? Why should I walk up to someone who obviously looks new, they don't look like they're familiar with their surroundings here at Cornerstone? Why should I run up to them and just embrace them? Because there was a day when you needed that more than anyone on the planet. And that's the day you and I came to know Jesus, whatever your spiritual birthday is. That's the day God reached down and pulled you out of the pit of hell and said, I have compassion on you. I have mercy on you. And now, after I've given it to you, here's an idea. Go show compassion to someone else. Another reason. Um, uh, go to First Peter chapter 1. Go to the right in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, why should I show mercy? Maybe it's so that others can be as excited 
as I am. First Peter, uh, let's go to chapter 1. Uh, let's look in verses 3 and 5. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Peter says this, he says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now listen to this. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach and decay of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Now we live, you and I live with this great expectation of what is to come. The reason you can do that is because you needed compassion and mercy. God gave it to you, so now you have a hope. Now you live with a great expectation. And God's saying, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to embrace someone else and give them the same kind of hope and expectation? How do I do that? I don't know. I show up on Saturday and go somewhere. And maybe, just maybe by God's design, I get into a conversation that's going to blow my mind. Maybe just maybe I come back from a second Saturday and I'm, I'm three feet off the ground because I didn't know that playing bingo with someone would lead to a conversation about the gospel. I didn't know that shoveling rocks would lead to a conversation with a neighbor I brought about eternal life. There's a third reason and that is back in James. So let's end in James. We started in James, let's end in James. And that's in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I think, why, why do I show mercy um, how about this for, for simplicity? Because I can. James chapter 3, uh, look in verse 13. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. James says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart... Don't be arrogant, so lie against the truth. Listen, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now here's the contrast. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then reasonable, then full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by who make peace. Why should I show mercy? Why should I go and do all of this? Why should I listen to James? Because you needed it, you got it. You have this hope now that hopefully is bubbling out all over the place to those around you. But the third reason, I guess, guys, and maybe the most important is because you can. Because you and I have this thing that non-Christians don't. We have wisdom from above. And the wisdom from above says to you and to me, you can live a life that's peaceable and gentle and full of mercy and compassion. So when I have the opportunity to show compassion and I don't, I'm not living from the wisdom from above. But rather I'm using earthly wisdom. And that can be very, very dangerous. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Um, the idea that when I minister to someone else that it's all about them. You just haven't done it enough. Because what God tends to do is while you're ministering to that person. He's giving you some um, intangible joy. 
that when you come back the next time, you're almost motivated by that joy. It's, it's almost like an addiction. That it's, it feels so good to bless others. That, that, that you're almost expecting it every time you go out and serve. And, and so, guys, again, let's bring it right back to here on Sunday mornings. Sunday morning, I show up. I'm sitting around. I'm waiting for the band to start playing. I got those five minutes of awkwardness where I'm sitting down. I don't know what to do. Here's an idea. Just here's a food for thought. One, ask God this. God, whoever sits around me when we have to get up in the next, you know, 10 minutes or so and we have to get up and share. God, would you just let me just be the one who's excited about this? Because maybe someone around me is going to dread the next 30 seconds of get up and stand and greet one another. Oh my gosh, here we go. God, would you just put in my heart to be the one that just reaches out, maybe even dare I say, even just with a hug or something and just, man, I'm so glad you're here. Number two, God, if I have those five, ten minutes, whatever, before service, God, could I be the one that maybe instead of coming right here and sitting down and reading my card that takes me 30 seconds, and, but belaboring it to 10 minutes, maybe, God, could I just stand back there? I've already got my seat, my coat's on it, my coffee's on, no one's going to take it. And so, God, maybe, could I just go back there? And maybe, God, if I saw someone come through those doors, maybe out in the lobby, if I saw someone come through those doors, that, 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 is just, I'm not familiar with. God, would you give me the strength? Would you give me the, 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 what it takes, the joy to walk up to this person and just, just greet them? And maybe, God, maybe that's the person that's going to need some mercy and compassion. Maybe. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight. God, I thank you that uh, this side of heaven, we have so many opportunities to share with people your mercy and compassion. Uh, Father, I'm reminded when I look into your word that um, there aren't too many times, I don't think, in heaven where I'm going to need to evangelize. So all that's done here, all that's done this side of heaven, and by your incredible sovereign wisdom, Father, you have allowed us to be these agents of the gospel, both in word and with and in deed. What a, what a could there be a better season to be agents of the gospel than this one? So, Father, maybe for some of us, we need to get um, that angel tree sticker off of our refrigerators and go out and buy. And maybe for others, we need to go get an angel tree sticker. And maybe for others, we need to show up on December 8th and, and go serve. And maybe for some of us, God, you need to just put in our hearts that there is this neighbor that I, I've just been dying to ask to go do something. And maybe second Saturday is the thing I'm going to ask him to now. And maybe, Father, for some of us, I'm going to start putting things in my car that I can give out to the homeless. And maybe for some of us, God, we're the ones who are actually going to stop on the side of the street and have a conversation with someone that we're not familiar with. And God, what a, what a, what a glorious day it's going to be. One day from now. One day from now when we will sit around in heaven and share story after story after story of how uh, we watched you at work. That will be a great day. Father, Father give us a story to share. Um, not for our own glory, but for yours. We'll give you all the praise. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.